Thank you for checking out the sermon at Hope Church. We exist to connect people to live the life of a Jesus follower. We're excited that you came across this message and are tuning in. We just want to make you aware of a couple things before we get to the sermon. First, we'd love to connect with you. You can follow us on our social networks by searching at Hope Church LV. Also, be sure to check out our website, hopechurchonline.com. There, you have access to other resources, information about who we are, and where we're going as a church, as well as an opportunity to give to what God is doing through our church. Once again, thanks for checking out this sermon. Please let us know if there's any questions you have or any way we can come alongside you and your family. Enjoy the message. is one of the greatest joys I have ever experienced in my life. For those of you that are moms and dads, you know the joy of what I'm talking about. I'll never forget the first time that I held each of our four children that my wife and I have been blessed with. If you're a mom or dad and you know that experience of being in that delivery room and when that baby's born and For the first time, they take that little baby and they place that baby in your arms and you get to hold that little life. I just don't know this side of heaven that there is another moment that is more precious than that moment. I remember when we'd bring each of our kids home and you know you begin to raise them as children. And there was a point in our oldest, our first child, our oldest daughter in her life. I guess she was about two years old, and you kind of hit this with all of them, but she was about two years old, and there was a moment where I was just driving the car, and um, she was sitting in the car seat, you know, back in the back like uh, she's supposed to be doing, and I'm driving, and she's sitting back there two years old. She's in her own world, and you can drive, and you can kind of see them in the rearview mirror. You know that that view, mom and dad. You can kind of sitting at a red light, and you're just looking at them, and they're kind of just in their own world, and I remember distinctly this one moment where I'm sitting at a red light, I'm looking in the rearview mirror, and she's sitting back there, and I was thinking, wow, I wonder what it'll be like someday when, when she's an adult, and she's not in a car seat, she's in the front seat, and we're driving around, and we're actually having real conversations, you know, about real things and real topics, because at that point, you know, the conversation's about get that Cheerio out of your nose, and you know, all that kind of stuff. But, but there's going to come a moment where there's real conversation that you're having with your children. And I don't know why, but I just remember that day in the car, just sitting there distinctly and thinking, I cannot wait for those moments when you get to have those real, meaningful, life-shaping, life-altering, life-directing conversations with your kids. That There's not anything more significant than that. And every parent knows what I'm talking about, those, those conversations that you have. But there's this one conversation <laughs> that if we're going to be honest as moms and dads, none of us look forward to this conversation. We've generically in our culture... We, we try to avoid this conversation so much, we've just simply called it the talk, right? <laughs> parents can look at each other and say, have you had the talk yet? And the other set of parents, you know exactly what they're talking about, right? Have you had the talk yet with your kids? Are they old enough yet for you to have had the talk with them? And when we, we use that phrase, talk, we're talking about an honest conversation about God's design for sex. And, and let me just say with each of my four kids, as we've had this conversation, um, like you as a mom and dad, I didn't look back in the mirror that day when my daughter was two years old and think, oh boy, I can't wait for this conversation, right? <laughs> I'm just like you. I, 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 I was not looking forward to it either. But, but I, let me just be completely honest. I never dreamed I'd be having this conversation in front of thousands of people. <laughs> so if you think you're a little uncomfortable today, you ought to be in this seat, all right? Um, because what we're going to do today and next weekend is we are going to have just that. We're going to have a talk. 
And that's why I'm, I'm sitting here today at a table. Most of the time, 95% of the time when I teach and preach here, I do it with our pulpit and I'm standing and I move around a lot. But, but this weekend and next weekend, I really wanted to have a talk. I want us to sit down together like family and have the talk. An honest conversation about God's design for sex. Don't expect there to be a lot of shouts and amens and applause during this two-week series, all right? If you do, it's probably going to be awkward, so just don't, all right? (laughs) So let me start by answering the big question in the room. Why are we talking about sex at church, right? Why are we doing this? Well... Let me answer that question with two words. The first word is the word burden. We're doing this for two weeks because as your pastors, we have a real sense of burden when it comes to this issue. The word burden is a word that, if you look it up in the dictionary, says to carry a heavy weight. Everyone who's been in pastoral ministry knows the weight of burden. And I'm not just talking about pastoral ministry in the role of a pastor. You can be involved in pastoral care in the role as a small group leader. If you're a small group leader or a pastor, you know the weight of burden. You know when you have something heavy on your heart because of the people that you have been given the responsibility to shepherd over. As your pastors, we have been for several months now carrying a significant weight, a burden when it comes to this issue of sexual brokenness in the context of our fellowship here at Hope. I've now had the privilege of being your pastor for officially 14 years is our birthday, but I started a year before that. So for 15 years... We've now been walking together as a family of faith on this journey. And for the entirety of those 15 years, like like all churches, I've understood that in our church there is a certain amount of sexual brokenness. It's not unique to us here at Hope. Every church, if they're going to be honest, transparent, and just kind of open things up, will admit that inside of every local fellowship, you get a group of people together... Christian or non-Christian, inside that group of people, there's going to be an element of sexual brokenness, sexual pain, sexual scars, sexual difficulties, sexual challenges. And at Hope, we've always understood that that's a part of our fellowship. People walking with heartache, pain, and scars from sexual sin, which we're going to talk about in a little bit, but... Sexual sin is really stepping outside of God's boundaries for sex. When you do that, there's consequences, there's hurt, there's pain, there's scars, there's heartache. And we've known always that that existed in our fellowship because it exists in every church. But but over the last two or three years, God's just expanded this burden for us. One of the things you do as pastors is you sit down with people and you walk with them through difficult things. And over the last couple of years, it seems that there has been an increasing intensity in the stories that we've heard of sexual brokenness. And it's across the board. I'm not just, don't don't think this series is born in response to one issue. It's not born in response to one issue. Across the board, we have seen... Things like men or students or singles that are battling pornography. And there's a deep level of addiction to pornography. There's, there are husbands and wives that are dealing with the issue of adultery or unfaithfulness. There are young people that are caught in the trap of sexting. And if you don't even know what that is, thank God you don't know what that is. There are premarital counseling couples that we've met with who are already living together before marriage and Many of the ones that we've had the privilege of talking to, they, nobody had ever even told them that that was not appropriate or not the way to lay the foundation for a godly biblical marriage. There are people struggling with homosexuality and homosexual desires and expressions. There are single adults caught in the trap of 
casual sex, and the list goes on and on. So, so what I want you to hear me say is this is not isolating one issue. It's, it's across the board. We just realize there is much sexual brokenness. And, and so as pastors, we, we had a growing sense of burden. We must address this issue. It didn't become one of those things like maybe we should do this. We had a sense of resolve that we had to do this. But it's not just about a burden over the sexual brokenness of our fellowship. It's a burden that's been born out of the sexual brokenness of our culture. Since the 1960s, the sexual revolution in our society has spiraled out of control. Our society is now out of control sexually. We've lost all sense of boundaries when it comes to sex and sexuality. We live in a culture that has become numb to it. There are things that are talked about that are portrayed on primetime television today that most of us thought in our lifetime we would never even hear those things mentioned publicly, much less see them portrayed as modern-day entertainment. It's a, a sign and a symptom of a society that has lost its way when it comes to sex and sexuality. And when it comes to that, the promise of sexual fulfillment and satisfaction, we have an enemy who is a liar. Let me say that again. We have an enemy, and he is a liar. Let me show you what the Word of God says in John chapter 8, verse 44 about our enemy, the devil. There is no truth in him. Whenever he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own nature. For he is a liar and the father of lies. That's our enemy. He is a deceiver. And when it comes to this promise of sexual fulfillment and sexual satisfaction, his lies are leading people to brokenness, which leads to to scars and pain and heartache, and it's true all across our society. I recognize that even talking about this publicly, there are some of you that are going to be sitting here today. Even the mention of sex and sexuality raises emotion in you because there's some deep pain. From betrayal, from lies, from deceit, from from bad decisions, all across the board. So we're burdened for our... As we watch our society, it reminds me of what Jesus said when he looked out at the people and he said they're, they're like sheep without a shepherd. They're distressed. And the words that Jesus used there in Matthew chapter 9 when he described that it was like an animal that had been attacked on the side of the road and just laid open, and it was just laying there waiting to die. It was just helpless and hopeless. That's, that's our society when you look at it sexually. A lot of evidences I could give for this, maybe the most recent, is what we saw about two weeks ago, three weeks ago, with this hack of the website called Ashley Madison. Ashley Madison was a website that was designed for married people to secretly meet other married people who are looking to have extramarital affairs. Well, some hackers got into that website and they released all the information of everybody who'd ever signed up on that website. 32 million users. Listen to me. Listen to me. This is going to blow your mind. Only three zip codes in America were not represented. Three zip codes in America not represented on Ashley Madison's website. Two in Alaska, one in New Mexico. It wasn't us. There was a social survey done. It said 37.9% of Americans over the age of 18 have had casual sex in the last year. 40%. Single adults over the age of 18 have had casual sex in the last year. Our enemy's a liar. You see, what he's not telling you is that premarital sex, men who have premarital sex are four times more likely to have extramarital affairs. 
women who have premarital sex are eight times more likely to have extramarital affairs. The enemy's a liar. Internet pornography, completely out of control. I want to show you some stats on the screen that I hope help you understand why we need to talk about this. Every second in America, every second in America, $3,075 is spent on internet pornography. Every second. One, two, three, $12,000 just spent on internet pornography. Every second in America, 28,258 people are viewing pornography online. Every second, over 50,000 people in America just viewed internet pornography. Every second in America, 372 people are typing in adult search words into search engines. Let me show you how our enemy's a liar. Here's what he's not telling you. 20% of all internet pornography comes... From coerced or trafficked children, according to the National Center for Missing or Exploited Children in 2013. The average age of the first internet pornography experience in America is 11 years old. So if you think we shouldn't be talking about this because kids are in the room... The average first internet pornography experience age is 11 years old. One out of every five children in America will be approached by a sexual predator online. One out of every five. Why are we talking about this? Burden. The stuff I've just shared with you breaks my heart and it should break all of our heart we have a society that is spiraling out of control Russell Moore is president of the ERLC for the denomination that we're a part of and he's challenged the church to be prepared for the sexual revolution's refugees, because there will be refugees from the sexual revolution. Look at this quote, what he said on the screen. The sexual revolution cannot keep its promises. Many people are going to be disappointed, and even before they can admit it to others or to themselves, they're going to ask, is this all there is? We need to be the people who can remind a wounded world of what we've already come to hear and believe. Come unto me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. That's good news for refugees like us. We should be burdened. Let me, let me tell you the second word, why we need to talk about this. It's the word responsibility. We have a responsibility to talk about this. I was working out Friday in the gym. Had a man come up to me at the gym. He said, Pastor, you don't know me well, but I go to Hope. and I heard what we're going to be teaching for the next two weeks. He said, I just want to say thanks. I said, what do you mean? He said, I was raised in church my whole life, and I've never heard anybody talk about this. Now I've got kids, and I just want to say thanks that we're talking about it publicly. We have a responsibility to talk about this. Because let me tell you something. The world is preaching its message. Every second of every day, through the internet, through television, through commercials, through billboards, through social media, through music. Look at this statistic by Common Sense Media. Look what they say. Teens report that their main source of information about sex, dating, and sexual health comes from what they see and hear in the media. God help us. No wonder we are spiraling out of control. The message the world has to offer when it's talking about sex and sexuality is a lie. 
Listen to me. The message that the world is offering you and me when it comes to sex and sexuality is a lie. But let me tell you something. There is truth when it comes to this issue, and the truth is found in the Word of God. Listen to what Jesus said. Jesus said the thief in John 10.10, the thief comes only to steal, to kill, and destroy. But I have come that you may have life and have it abundantly. Jesus came to give us life in every area of our lives, and that includes sex and sexuality. One of the things I'm going to do as we walk through this series over two weeks is I'm going to give you some um, ideas about some resources that will be helpful. The first is a book that I'm reading right now, reading through by Chip Ingram. It's called Love, Sex, and Lasting Relationships. Chip Ingram is a pastor here in America, a church in California, and this is a phenomenal book. These books that I'm going to mention today, we have copies of these available at our resource center. Um, You can find them online. We don't have enough for everybody here, that's for sure. So if you want to buy them, you can buy them here, you can buy them online. But listen to this quote that Chip Ingram says out of this book. Look at it. He says, I am convinced of this. Before we even open the Bible, the truth we find written in the lives of the average group of fellow human beings would be enough for us to to, to force us to admit that something is desperately wrong about the way we're doing relationships. Our stories of being hurt, used, and abandoned, thinking this was really love, only to experience the gravest disappointment we've ever experienced, these alone would be enough to convince us. God loves you and me too much for the mess we've created to go on unchallenged. His word confirms what we know, but it also tells us there's a way out. For those who learn early enough, God's prescription for relationships offers a way around much of the trouble. For those who are already mired in heartache or deadness, God continues to offer hope. The truth of the word of God can and will set us free when it comes to sex and sexuality. So what I want to do this morning is I want to read a passage of Scripture that is going to be an overview passage of Scripture for both weekends. We're not going to dig in like we normally would and just pull everything out of this because we're going to try to do an overview of what the Word of God has to say. But I want to read 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. If you have your Bible, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. I want to read verses 3 through 8, and then I want to give you a general statement for this weekend that we're going to unpack together. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, beginning in verse number 3. He says, For this is the will of God. (laughs) That's pretty plain. Amen. That's an okay place to say amen. All right. Amen. This is the will of God. How many of you want to know the will of God for your life? I'm about to read it. This is the, you don't have to pray about it. You don't have to get counsel about it. This is the will of God. Look at it. For this is the will of God, your sanctification. It's a word that means to be set apart, to be set apart for God's glory. That is that you abstain from sexual immorality. That each of you know how to possess his own vessel. In sanctification and honor, not in lustful passion like the Gentiles who do not know God, and that no man transgress and defraud his brother in the matter, because the Lord is the avenger in all these things, just as we also told you before and solemnly warned you. For God has not called us for the purpose of impurity, but in sanctification. Now listen to this. So he who rejects this is not rejecting man, but the God who gives his Holy Spirit to you. I've been praying all morning that just simply the reading of that passage of Scripture would begin to bring clarity and freedom and healing. In our lives. Let me give you a big defining statement that I'm going to unpack this morning. Here it is. Sex is God's idea 
given as a gift to be enjoyed between a husband and a wife. Sex is God's idea given as a gift to be enjoyed between a husband and a wife. Let me unpack it. Sex is God's idea. (laughs) Did you hear that? We did not come up with it ourselves. I'm going to read it to you in the Bible because I think sometimes as Christians we have a a hard time with this, this concept alone. Sex is God's idea. Look at it in Genesis chapter 2. I'm sorry, Genesis chapter... Yeah, I think it's Genesis chapter 2. Let me confirm that. I maybe have it written down wrong. Genesis chapter 1, verses 27 and 28. That's a typo. They got it right on the screen. It's just wrong in my notes. Genesis 1, 27, 28. God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female, he created them. God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Did you hear that? Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Remember where we're reading. This is Genesis 1. God created human beings. God created man and woman, put them together as husband and wife. And here's what he said. Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Don't miss this. All three of those verbs are imperatives in the Hebrew. Here's what that means. It wasn't suggestion. It was command. It was a command of God that the husband and wife were to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Let me say this clearly. You cannot fulfill that commandment of God without sex. And lots of it. Be fruitful, multiply, and fill the earth. In God's original design, sex was a part of the process. Sex is God's idea. Why are you saying that? Here's why I'm saying it. We've allowed the world to shape our understanding of sex by dragging it into the back alleys and dark corners of our culture. We've made it something that's dirty or cheap or wrong. So much so that some people are even shocked that we would talk about it in church. Some are shocked that we would say the word sex in front of other people, and heaven forbid that we should say the word sex in front of God. (gasps) God made it. God designed it. God created it. It's not dirty, ugly, and cheap. It's God's design. It's holy and pure and right. And we need to begin by redeeming the term as something that God has made. And we don't have to be ashamed of talking about it. Sex is God's idea. It's another book I'm going to recommend to you. Uh, the first book was really about uh, for, for single adults, students, and also for parents that are helping to teach their children or grandparents. The second book is, is by my, a friend of mine named Matt Chandler. It's called The Mingling of Souls. It's a study straight through the Song of Solomon. And it's about, this is really a book for husbands and wives, great book for husbands and wives. Look at what Matt Chandler said on the screen. From the initial attraction to the covenant marriage that sanctions sex. From the thrill of the romantic chase to the consummate pleasure of the marriage bed, God designed it all. He ordered it all. He blessed it all in a way that brings him great glory and us great joy. That's another good place to say amen. It's God's idea. God came up with it. So let me expand that. Sex is God's idea given as a gift. 
Sex is God's idea given as a gift. God gave human beings the gift of sex and sexuality. Why did God give us sex as a gift? Well, let me give you three primary reasons why. The first one, you already know. He gave it to us for reproduction, right? God gave us sex for reproduction. That's, that's sex education 101. If you've had any sex education at all, if you as a parent have had any conversation with your kids, it has probably at least covered the area that sex leads to being pregnant. And we've done it that way in many ways negatively in that we've packaged this idea of sex education in a way that makes pregnancy a negative side effect of sex. And that's not God's design. God gave us sex. And one of the primary purposes is for reproduction. What we've already read, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth. God wanted more people than Adam and Eve. God wanted more people than Adam and Eve. And so he gave them sex to reproduce. Be fruitful, multiply, and fill the earth. Listen to this statement. In God's infinite wisdom and divine sovereignty. In God's infinite wisdom and divine sovereignty, he designed that the human race would be multiplied through the intimate physical relationship of a man and a woman. God gave us sex for reproduction. Let me tell you the second reason God gave us sex. He gave us sex for oneness or relational intimacy. Let me read it to you again. Look back over in Genesis, now chapter 2, verse 18. The Bible says, Then the Lord God said, It is not good for man to be alone. God created human beings with a God-given innate desire for deep relational intimacy. And he said about Adam, It's not good for him to be alone. He said, I will make a helper suitable for him. That's a strong word, the word helper. It's not a word that means just friend. The the word here, helper, is the Hebrew phrase, ezer konegdo. It's really difficult to translate. That's why you see all these weird words, like in the older translation of the Bible, they translated it with the word help meet. Nobody even knows what that means, right? A help meet. It's just a word we hear in marriage ceremonies a lot, that he's going to be his help meet. Well, it's interesting, the word ezer, is used 20 other times in the Old Testament. Every other time it's used in the Old Testament, but this one is referring to God himself. This is the only time this word's ever used to describe anybody but God. And the Bible says here that he's going to give man a helper, a ezer konegdo. It's a word that literally means a lifesaver, a life giver, a life breather. This is describing something more than just a friendship that Adam needed a buddy to hang out with. He's describing a unique relational intimacy between a husband and wife. And as their connecto, doesn't sound like a very romantic term, but it is. Look into her eyes and say, baby, you're my as their connecto, right? Look what it says. Why did he do this? So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, and he slept. Then he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh at that place. The Lord God fashioned into a woman the rib which he had taken from the man, and he brought her to the man. The man said, wow, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. I mean, Adam had just been through all the creation, naming all the animals. And then woman is brought under the scene, and he's like, this is different right here. (laughs) She shall be called... Woman, I heard somebody say, yeah, because he said, whoa, man, right? When he... Because she was taken out of man. For this reason, listen to what he says. A man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh, and the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. This passage describes the physical relationship between the husband and his wife as something more important or something more significant than simply reproduction. When Jesus quoted this in the New Testament, Jesus quoted the verses I just read for you in Matthew chapter 19. Jesus talked about a man being joined to his wife, and the word Jesus used was a Greek 
Greek word that literally meant to glue together. God designed the sexual relationship in marriage to be an adhesive. God gave us sex as a design to hold two people together permanently. When we're joined together as husband and wife, when we become one flesh, there is a a supernatural, spiritual, adhesive quality that God gave to sexual intimacy. That's what Jesus said. Andy Stanley said this in in his book. I I don't think I've quoted this one yet. Andy Stanley has a book called, you can tell I'm reading these. I've got tabs everywhere. Andy Stanley has a book called The New Rules. For Love, Sex, and Dating. Phenomenal book. Highly recommend it for single students and for moms and dads or grandparents that are speaking into the lives of their kids. I've really enjoyed this book. Listen to what he said. He said, when we ignore God's relational purpose for sex, we rip sex out of its divinely designed relational context. We hurt ourselves. I grew up in Alabama. In Alabama, we have this miracle product. I'm sure you have it here in Las Vegas, but you don't know how to use it like we know how to use it in Alabama. It's called duct tape. We can build houses with this where I'm from. We can do automotive repair. We can heal small wounds in the human body with this. We don't need a cast. We got duct tape, right? Duct tape is an interesting product. It's very adhesive. You stick it on something, it's going to stay. That's why. I'm serious. You go to Alabama and drive around, you'll see people's car windows being held on by duct tape. (laughs) You try that with masking tape or with scotch tape, that's not going to work. But duct tape, it'll work. It's adhesive. But here's the thing about duct tape. Once you've used it, It's not near as effective if you try to use it again. You see, every time you apply it, peel it off, and then try to reapply it, it loses its adhesive quality. And what was designed to hold things together now begins to allow them to fall apart. The same thing happens sexually. God gave sex as an adhesive to create relational intimacy and oneness in a marriage. God gave sex as an adhesive to attach two people together and cause them to stay together. And every time you have sex with a different partner, you are applying, removing, and then reapplying this powerful relationship adhesive that God has given. And then what happens is what God gave to strengthen the marriage relationship becomes ultimately that which weakens the marriage relationship. And that's why I'm saying to you, our enemy is a liar. You see, what our enemy does is he takes that which God made and he twists it and distorts it to his own end. You see, what the enemy would desire is for your and my marriage, for your and my life to be ripped apart. So he takes what God gave us, sex. God gave it to us as a beautiful gift to be used as an adhesive to unite us together as husband and wife so that we spend all of our lives together in relational oneness and in unity and intimacy, having been joined together through this beautiful gift that God gave. The enemy says, eh, you can just do that with anybody you want to. And what God gave us a gift to strengthen us, now we begin to take that adhesive and we spread it around. And what God gave us a gift to strengthen marriage, the enemy takes and uses it as a weapon to destroy and undermine relational intimacy inside the home. Let me show you another quote by Andy Stanley. I love this. The heartbreaking consequence of our sexually liberated culture is that single men and women are undermining their own potential for sexual fulfillment later in life by divorcing sexual expressions from relational permanency, they are, perhaps you are, damaging their potential for intimacy. You see, the enemy would say, well, if you save yourself for your wife, you're going to miss out. You save yourself for your wife or for your husband, 
you're going to miss all the experience and all the... And you see what's actually happening? That, that adhesive that God gave to unite a husband and a wife in a marriage relationship is now being applied and ripped off and reapplied and ripped off. You do that enough, and guess what? This won't stick at all. You're talking about sexual dysfunction and, and, and lack of fulfillment in marriage when there's no adhesive quality left? Listen, God wants something so much more for you and me. Let me read you another quote out of Chip Ingram's book. Listen to what he said. Do you know what God wants? He wants you to have a relationship with another person where you look deeply into another's eyes and you can trust each other. There's no other person in that relationship. There's no emotional oneness. Or excuse me, there's, there's emotional oneness and there's spiritual oneness. There are adventures, fun, talks, laughter, sex, and if God is willing, even some kids. Throughout life, time and time again, you meet each other physically in a celebration of union to the glory of God. You keep the marriage bed holy, and you celebrate sexuality with the approval of God. No guilt, no baggage, no comparing yourself or your mate with any other person. Sex becomes a wholesome, holy, awesome, and mysterious moment in God's presence. God says the sexual act bonds people's souls like few experiences in the world. He loves you so much that He wants that kind of life for you, for your kids, and for your friends. That's what God desires for us. It's God's idea given as a gift for reproduction, for relational intimacy. Here's the third reason God gave it. God gave it for physical enjoyment. Let's just be honest. Sex, as God designed it, is a really good thing. It's okay. Take a breath. I heard you collectively. (gasps) You see what we've done? We've let the enemy drag it to the dark corners and back alleys. Sex is God. Listen, one of the reasons some of our children are struggling, some of this generation are struggling in such great ways, is we've so created a cloud over this issue and made it so taboo that we can't even talk about it. Listen, sex as God designed it is a really good thing. Have you read Song of Solomon in the Bible lately? If you've not read the book of Song of Solomon, you need to go read Song of Solomon. And if you're having trouble understanding it, you get Matt Chandler's book called The Mingling of Souls, you'll see some stuff in Song of Solomon that you've never seen before. The same guy that wrote the book Song of Solomon wrote the book of Proverbs. I'm going to read you two verses out of Proverbs. Listen to what the Bible says. Proverbs 5, 18 and 19. Let your fountain be blessed. And rejoice in the wife of your youth. As a loving hind and a graceful doe, let her breast satisfy you at all times. Be exhilarated always with her love. Every husband in the room just secretly wrote that verse down. You just felt led to have a spiritual conversation with your wife, right? Yeah. The word exhilarated here. Listen, we're reading the Bible. That's in the book that God gave us. It's God's idea. God made it. God gave it to us for reproduction, for intimacy and oneness, and for enjoyment inside the context of marriage. The word exhilarated, he said be exhilarated. You know what it is? It's the Hebrew word for intoxicated. Be drunk on it. Is what he's saying. God gave it to us for physical enjoyment. Sex is God's idea given as a gift. If you hear all that so far, just say amen. amen. Let, me, let me land the plane with this last point. We gotta move on. We gotta be done. Sex is God's idea given as a gift to be enjoyed between a husband and wife. There's the whole statement again. It's God's idea to be enjoyed between a husband and and a wife. In his divine wisdom, God created sex with a, hear me, clearly defined boundary. <laughs> we don't like boundaries. 
God created sex with a clearly (laughs) defined boundary. Marriage between a husband and a wife. There's the boundary. Think about this. That's the only way that sex as God designed it can be fully enjoyed. You see, the only way you can fully enjoy God's design of reproduction, relational intimacy and oneness, and pleasure. You can enjoy one or two of those things in other situations, but the only way for all of it to be enjoyed in totality as God intended it is one man and one woman in the context of marriage. God gave us a boundary. There's the problem we have in our society. We don't like boundaries. And we don't like boundaries because we think boundaries restrict us from freedom. See, we see boundaries wrong. When my children were younger, we moved here. They were seven, five, and three years old, and our fourth wasn't even born yet. When our kids were little, we we, we live in a cul-de-sac here in Las Vegas. In this cul-de-sac, we're kind of at the one o'clock position. So we're in the last house in the cul-de-sac. And so what I did when our kids were little is I, I took them out in the front yard and I showed them an invisible line in our cul-de-sac. I walked out there with my kids and I said, Kids, here's the line. Anywhere on this side of the line, you play all you want to play. Don't go on that side of the line. You know what that was? It's a boundary. Now, did I give my kids that boundary because I wanted to rob them of all the joy and freedom and pleasure of what was on the other side of that line? No. I gave my kids that boundary because I loved them. And I wanted them to be able to enjoy all the pleasure of playing outside. Without the pain and the consequence of being run over by a car. Right? That's why I gave them the the boundary wasn't to rob them of freedom. The boundary was to allow them to enjoy their freedom. God didn't give us a boundary for sex because he knew all the joy and all the freedom and all the pleasure and all. No, God gave us the boundary because he wanted to keep us from getting run over by the car. Look at our society. It's broken. How has the 1960 sexual revolution brought great transformation to our society? Why is it that so many, even in secular society, look back to the 1950s as the good old days? All the hurt, all the pain, all the scars. Think guardrails. If you're driving up on a mountain edge and there are guardrails on the side of the road, you don't look at those guardrails and go, man, that's robbing me from the joy and freedom of plummeting down the side of this cliff, right? (laughs) No, if you're driving... You're thanking God for the guardrails. If you're on the passenger side, you're praying to God that the guardrails stay there. Right? We see those guardrails not as evil. We see those guardrails as good. They're there to help me. God gave us a clearly designed boundary. Look at 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 3 again. Look what he said. For this is the will of God. Your sanctification, that is that you abstain from sexual immorality. There's the boundary. What is sexual immorality? The Greek word for sexual immorality, you know what the Greek word is? You'll recognize this as an English word because we've transliterated. Here's the Greek word, pornea. We've got an English word, pornography, that comes from this word. Let me give you a definition of sexual sin. We're going to unpack it more next week. But here's the definition of sexual sin. Any sexual expression outside of God's boundary of the relationship of a husband and wife. Any sexual expression outside of God's boundary of a husband and wife relationship. 
That's sexual sin. So here's what God said. Inside the context of marriage, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth. Be joined together. Enjoy it. It's a gift. It's a gift for reproduction. It's a gift for intimacy and oneness. It's a gift for enjoyment. He said be exhilarated with it. Outside of that, here's what God said. Don't hurt yourself. Don't hurt yourself. Don't hurt yourself. When he talks about this idea of sexual morality, I want you to understand, it's a broad... We tend to, in Christian circles, highlight one or two things as sexual sin. Listen, it's a broad list. Adultery. Pornography. Premarital sex. Self-stimulation. Homosexuality. Lustful thoughts. All of that. And many, 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 many others are sex outside the boundaries that God's given us. We like to highlight one or two things on that list in Christians and get us some banners and protests. But there's a whole big list of stuff. And it's all equally unrighteous before God. It's all equally unholy. And it's all equally not the will of God for us. Think about it like this. Fire in a fireplace in your home is a wonderful thing. Fire outside of the fireplace in your home is not a wonderful thing. Sex inside of God's boundaries is like a fire in the fireplace. Great purpose, great function, brings warmth, enjoyment, pleasure. Sex outside of God's boundaries is like a fire that's running through your house out of control. It's dangerous. It's damaging. And I'll close with verse 8 again. Look at verse 8. He who rejects this is not rejecting man, but God who gives his Holy Spirit to you. Here's what he's saying. If you say, ah, that's old-fashioned. Here's what you, I want you to hear what you're doing. You are shaking your fist in the face of God himself who created sex and designed it. And you're saying, God, I know better than you do about what you've made. So if you continue to live outside of God's boundary, you're doing it knowing that you are clearly stepping over the boundary of God, shaking your fist in his face and saying, I'll deal with it myself. Sex is God's idea. Given as a gift to be enjoyed. Between a husband and a wife.